This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. U.S. presidents don't fly into Chicago every day. Unless, of course, you're former President Obama, who's from Chicago. President Biden is, of course, extremely busy. Over the last few days, he's brought experts to Washington to deal with the latest ransomware attack. And today, he's looking into the assassination of the president of Haiti. And he worked for months to get citizens and lawmakers behind his big infrastructure plan. But today, he's in northwest suburban Crystal Lake, talking about his American Families plan. NPR White House correspondent Asma Khalid is with us on the line right now. And Asma... Why a place like Crystal Lake over, say, Chicago? That's a great question. Uh, and, and I will say it was a question I think that, you know, a couple of us were interested in just getting better guidance from the White House. You know, they point to the fact that it is uh, home to uh, Lauren Underwood, Congresswoman, Lo- Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. You know, I think they didn't really provide, I will say, a clear understanding of why Crystal Lake in particular. But what I will say is that there is a sense from the administration that they need to create buy-in for specifically the American Families Plan, but just more broadly broadly, some of the economic agenda items that the administration wants um, uh, among kind of a wide cross-section of voters. Um, Chicago is a city that, you know, overwhelmingly supported President Biden and I'm sure listeners will know this, though Crystal Lake itself supported President Biden in the 2020 election, the county itself did prefer Donald Trump over the current president. And so, you know, I do think that he is very clear eyed over the assessment that it is going to be difficult to get a number of Republicans to buy in Mm -hmm. to specific aspects of his agenda, specifically items that would require raising taxes, say it all, uh, on corporations or the wealthy. But there is, I think, a sense from this White House that you can create pressure by just getting additional voter support that might put pressure on certain members of Congress. What's included in the American Families Plan? It is a gigantic plan by by all estimates. I mean, it would really be sort of the most ambitious overhaul, I will say, of how the country thinks about, say, childcare, education. And, and that's part of why he's going to McHenry Community College. You know, we were told that he will be visiting that specific site because it is home to both a workforce development center as well as a childcare center. And those are both facets of the American Families Plan that would, you know, just invest more dollars into it. Uh, the plan overall is essentially a $1 trillion investment. It is just sort of leaps and bounds larger than anything we've seen, specifically when we talk about investment in child care. You know, I will say the administration believes that the pandemic created this kind of uh, political space to make larger investments like this, specifically, say, around child care, because there is an understanding that given how many working moms and dads just weren't able to have childcare during a portion of the pandemic. Um, there is this belief that maybe there just will be more public buy-in in this particular moment. I see. Is there bipartisan support to get it passed? 
Not at all, really. And that, and that is ties into the central feature of this, which re- would require additional, I would say, tax increases, both on corporations and the wealthy in order to fund this all. Really, anything that's going to require tax increases is going to lose a majority of Republicans supporting Congress. Um, you know, the other thing is there are Republicans in Washington, D.C. who feel like this is just a an extremely large uh, spending package at a point in time when Congress has already passed the COVID relief bill and the Biden administration is in talks with some members, some GOP members as well in Congress around a very large infrastructure package. And so, you know, I I will say that this is just a fundamental philosophical difference of how some Democrats see this moment, which they believe the pandemic has created this culture and this space to to basically do huge, large scale investments in government, you know, kind of akin, I would say, to to some of the investments that we saw from Franklin Delano Roosevelt after the Great Depression or in the midst of the Great Depression. And then from Republicans who believe that the economy is already coming back mm-hmm. and the very large COVID investment package that was passed just along Democratic Party lines, they feel was more than enough. In fact, some Republicans think that was too much money. And so uh, I will say that there is not going to be, I should say, I shouldn't say there's not going to be, but it was very unlikely that there will be bipartisan mm-hmm. support for this. Right. Well, our governor here is very excited about the plan. He supports the plan. Uh, Governor Pritzker says uh, it will be very important for the people of Illinois. Can you make clear for us, Asma, how this plan could impact a state like Illinois? I can sort of speak more broadly about how it will impact, you know, most folks, and I'm sure this would trickle down as well to to Illinois as well. Um, You know, one of the ideas in here is about extending tax cuts for families with children. Um, This is something called the the child tax credit that many families who have children, they receive this money uh, when they file taxes. The Biden administration wants to make that um, sort of enhancement of the child tax credit larger and make it permanent. Um, There's also talks in here about providing at least four years of free education. um, And this would be through just increased investments in community college and making community college more affordable. Um, You know, these are, again, large government uh, programs that the Democrats believe will sort of create more durable long-term economic growth. And and certainly, I, I believe, you know, would probably uh, affect many folks within Illinois. Of course, there is just a philosophical difference where Republicans feel like this is overinvestment at a time when the country is just beginning to come back from the pandemic. Asma, I want to get back to something you, you talked about earlier, and that was the politics of this whole visit, right? As you mentioned, mm-hmm. President Biden is going to be in McHenry County, which actually voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election. That's right. And, and you know, to me, that was a curious choice. Uh, Crystal Lake itself is certainly a more Democratic part of the county. But, you know, as I was saying, I do believe that Biden has had this belief that he needs to create um, I would say just bipartisan buy-in at a voter level for some of his ideas. And when you talk to administration officials, they will often speak to the fact that they believe some of their investments, specifically along the economic agenda items, and even when they call for, say, increasing taxes on corporation, they believe that that has buy-in from a wide swath of voters, while it may not have you know, support from bipartisan members of Congress. And so t- to me, and I'm kind of interpreting here between the lines, there is a sense that maybe the way he believes he'll create kind of broader public support for some of the economic agenda that he has is by going to places that are, you know, um, not perhaps as solidly blue. Mm-hmm. McHenry County to me is interesting because 
as you mentioned, Donald Trump won the county, but it wasn't overwhelming. I think it was just by about what three percent, fifty or so. to forty, forty-seven. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pretty close margin, and and those are the kind of independent, you could argue, suburban voters that the administration is trying to reach, and you could argue Democrats also know that they need to maintain in order to do well in the midterms next year. President Biden also made uh, two other recent stops in the Midwest, Asma. Right, he went to Michigan and Wisconsin. What can you briefly tell us about those stops? You know, those stops, I will say, talked more about infrastructure. That has been a huge focus for this administration to date. They came into office, I would say, outlining very large ideas. Um, and infrastructure was one that it was called the American Jobs Plan, that the Biden administration outlined its own agenda for. Um, it, as many of the listeners probably know, there's been a lot of back and forth uh, about infrastructure. And there's a bipartisan deal that a group of Republican and Democratic lawmakers came to an agreement on. Uh, the president, uh, endorses that package, but at the same time says there are other specific ideas that he has as part of his agenda, say around climate mm-hmm. um, or, or around childcare that he wants to see invested in as well. And so what Democrats are trying to do at this moment, and this is very tricky for them, is they are wanting to craft what's called a, a reconciliation bill which would allow them to essentially pass something with just Democratic votes in the Senate. The tricky thing for that is that right now they are trying to do that so that they'll be able to pull along some of the more progressive leftish senators and and members of the House, I should say, Mm -hmm. at the same time that they get buy-in from some of the more moderate members of the Democratic Party for this infrastructure package. And this sounds kind of confusing, but basically what they are trying to do is pass two things simultaneously because there's a concern in the Democratic Party that they won't necessarily be able to pass just the infrastructure bill alone unless they promise some of the more progressive members of Congress that they're willing to make larger investments. Well, now he's here in uh, Illinois uh, coming after a a very violent weekend here in Chicago. Mm. Uh, Our Fourth of July weekend saw at least 19 people killed, dozens more wounded. Is that going to be part of the discussion at all today? To my knowledge, no, though I will say um, Lynn Sweet, who's the Washington bureau chief of, at the Chicago Sun-Times, was saying earlier today that that he, she's been told to expect a statement from the White House or from Biden about uh, the federal agents and the officer that were shot today. You know, I will say that police reform, or maybe I should say the lack of police reform, has been something that this White House is routinely asked about. You know, the George Floyd uh, Policing Act was passed by the House twice now. It has gotten essentially stalled in the Senate and Lawmakers who've been working on a bipartisan police reform bill did tell us late last month that they've agreed on a framework for a deal. But it's very unclear what that framework will actually look like at this point in time. Yeah, our our mayor, Lori Lightfoot, she's been calling on lawmakers and the president to pass gun control legislation. She's also expected to take that message uh, directly to the president today. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think his plan has legs, particularly with Republicans? So I should say he's been somewhat hands off on the police reform bill publicly, at least. So I'm hesitant to say it it is being his plan. There's um, Tim Scott, a Republican senator from South Carolina, and Cory Booker, a Democratic senator from New Jersey, as well as Karen Bass in the House uh, from California. They've been kind of the lead negotiators on this police reform bill. I think that, you know, frankly, the tricky thing is on this, and I've been doing some reporting, is that Police groups have some hesitations about some of the major police reform changes that are being talked about, say, eliminating qualified immunity. 
And there are certainly police groups who have hesitations about that. And they have voiced that to me. And I think the the tricky thing is that, you know, law enforcement and policing has become more of a partisan issue over time. President Biden himself has had very long personal historical ties with many folks within the law enforcement community. But when I talk to some of those same folks who've known the president, say, for the past 30 years, they say that the dynamic in policing is just very different today than it was uh, going back to the 1990s yeah. when President Biden, you know, very famously helped draft that 1990s crime bill. And so there's just a different political reality in which both the parties and President Biden are operating in right now. I want to pick your brain before I let you go, Asma, on two things you mentioned early on, uh, because later in the show, first of all, we're going to be digging into ransomware attacks. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about how they work, who's perpetrating them, uh, et cetera. What, what is the Biden administration doing to ensure that American businesses and units of government are safe from these cyber attacks? Well, today there was this meeting at the White House um, where they brought together um, officials from the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, as well as the intelligence community. And they're essentially trying to talk through what they can do. I mean, part of the tricky thing for them is that many of these attacks are happening on private companies. And so they're trying to figure out, I think, some of the the levers that the federal government has here. But look, I mean, I will say repeatedly the White House has been asked what are sort of the consequences, specifically, let's say, if many of these ransomware attacks are stemming from Russia? Mm-hmm. Um, we've been told that the White House and uh, Russian officials will be having a meeting uh, to discuss ransomware attacks next week. But we also haven't gotten clear guidance on essentially what consequences or, or how the United States might retaliate if, for example, this most recent um, ransomware attack we got word of over the weekend turns out that it did originate from Russia. Right now, you know, I think the early indications are that it was, but there is not, from our assessment at least, or I should say from the intelligence community's assessment, I think definitive, clear guidance that it was from there. So at this point in time, a a lot of what they're trying to do, I think, is figure things out. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, I think, is pressure. I mean, this is a, a test for the Biden administration because it's a it's a tricky situation where a lot of these attacks are happening on private companies, but they, they inevitably do affect a large swath of the American public. I mean, you think back to, say, uh, the gas pipeline a couple of months ago. And you you mentioned earlier the, the big news uh, this morning that Haiti's president was assassinated at home. Yes. The president yeah. was briefed. He says that he's, quote, shocked and saddened. What do we know so far about how the administration could respond to the assassination or whether they will? So they did issue a statement. And as you mentioned, President Biden himself briefly responded to reporters. Um, you know, he said the situation is is worrying. Um, you know, the statement that they put out talked about the fact that he described it actually as a heinous act and that the United States stands by ready to offer additional support to create a sort of safe, safe, safe I'm sorry, and stable um, future in Haiti. But it is worth pointing out that this assassination comes amidst an extremely tense situation in Haiti for many months. Haiti has been in the midst of a political crisis. And the president who was assassinated, um, you know, there are opposition forces in the country who say that he had outlasted his term and was staying on uh, as president um, 
not legally. Uh, the president and his supporters there in Haiti say that he he was the rightful president and had the right to stay on. And and I think what the United States you know now needs to figure out is to, essentially the president has tried to engage a lot on domestic issues at home, just yeah. given the pandemic and the situation with the economy. There are foreign policy issues that continue to bubble up, but um, the president, you know, quite candidly, has not been as engaged on the foreign policy front as he has on the domestic issues at this point in time, just given the pandemic. And as we saw, you know, a couple months ago, I should say, with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there are issues that pop up and force the president to look abroad and and deal with some of those issues. You know, I will say covering this White House, I am amazed at how disciplined they are at staying on message with a particular issue that they want to talk about. Interesting. And for months, this issue and and their focus has been tied on, you know, say infrastructure and the pandemic. And those are their top priorities. They're not a White House that is particularly swayed by the winds to discuss one new topic or the other. Um, And and so when things like this come up, though, it does force the administration to deal with issues that maybe are not top of mind for, for the immediate moment. We'll have to leave it there. That is NPR White House correspondent Asma Khalid. Asma, thank you so much. My pleasure, as always. And that's today's Reset, from politics and policing to transportation and taco stands. We've got Chicagoland covered, with fresh new conversations each day to keep you up to date and in the loop. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.